Let me pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, we love you. We're grateful for the blood of Christ that covers all of our sins, and that it was shed abroad for many. And we're grateful that the um, that you chose us before the foundations of the earth um, to be your daughters. And so we just receive that, walk in that um, free gift. Lord, none of us are worthy. None of us are deserving. We have all fallen short. But because of your matchless, graceless, unconditional, um, profound love for us, you chose us. And we thank you for that. And so, Lord, may we walk that out now. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit um, to just fill me, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase in me. Father, the words that I speak would be um, blessings to the ears of the ladies that hear it, Father God, and they would cause us to move in the spirit, and each one of them would be would rise up um, with peace and joy and love, and um, you would continue to call us to do amazing and profound things because of uh, the spirit of God that dwells inside of us. Christ, may we get a handle on you saying that we will do greater things than you did, and may we walk that out in our day-to-day existence with our hands and with our feet, with the words that we speak, the expressions on our face in our very own lives that we give for the glory of God. We thank you for who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so small decisions, lifelong consequences. Let's take you some things maybe that, that are some small decisions that have lifelong consequences. Anybody, good or bad, doesn't have to be, there's lots of good, I mean, good decisions we make that are small that have lifelong consequences. Anybody have a, a, a sample? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, absolutely. Lifelong consequences on that. Getting married. Getting married. Yeah, and then backing up, like, where did you meet the guy? That you went to this restaurant to have dinner, or you have a friend that went to Belize, and that's how she met her husband, and, you know, and he's having crazy things like that. Lifelong consequences that, that occur. What are some other things, maybe, that are small decisions that have lifelong consequences? Going through a Exactly. Yeah. Just this one time, I'm going to run this red light, or just this one time, I'm going to text, or just this one time, I'm going to, you know, not do this. I won't get caught this time. And then some really profound lifelong consequences that could come about as a result of those kind of things. An angry outburst. Angry outburst. For me, that lifelong consequences was a choice. You know, it really is just a series of choices. You know, it was that choice to, to go to the party. And then it was the decision to choose to drink more than I probably should have drank. And then it was a choice to leave the party with the guy. And then it was a choice to, to have sex with him. And then it was a choice to go to the doctor. And then it was a choice when he slid his business card across the table and said, here's a solution for your problem. And it was a choice for you to pick that up and call it lamb. And it was a choice for me to get my car and have my friend drive me to Atlanta to the hotel situation. And then it was a choice to end the life of my unborn child. All little choices along the way that had lifelong consequences. But what is so amazing about our fantastic, wonderful, gracious God is he is longer than our lives. You know? And we might have lifelong consequences, but one day this life will end, praise the Lord, and we will go to a better place and a greater place. 
And he is bigger than those consequences. And so I want to take time today by looking at the life of David and just look at, okay, how can we heal from those consequences? Because there are consequences, and there's pain associated with that. But then also, I want us to, to let's learn from that. Let's not, let's learn from our, our poor choices. And, and how do we not make those, having those bad consequences? Well, it comes back to making those little decisions beforehand. We're going to talk about three different stories, and if you're a, a reader of the Bible much at all, you'll know these stories, but I'm going to hopefully spin them in a way that will give you a different idea. The first story we have to look at with David, it's not a story, it's a truth. It's actually happened. There was a man named David. He was after God's own heart, and he did choose in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he made that very small decision to not go to war. And then he made that very small decision, restless at night, that he arose out of his bed and he went to the rooftop. And then he made that decision to look on Bathsheba. And then he made that decision to find out who is that chick down there. And just because she was the husband of somebody else, it didn't matter. And he made the choice to bring her to him, chose to have sex. And then he thinks like he's the king of the world. I mean, he's the king of the world, really, at that point. He could have done a lot of other things, but then he manipulated that. He called Uriah up from the front lines. Once she found out she was pregnant, and then he talked to her, I mean, talked to him and tried to figure this out and figured he would go home and, you know, like any good soldier and have sex with his wife, you know, and no, but he was an extra great soldier and didn't go. So the next night he said, I know what we'll do, we'll get him drunk, and then surely he will go home. So he got her drunk, and he still didn't go home. So he sent him to the front line with a sealed note that said to Joab, I want Uriah to die. Whatever it takes, put him in the front of the line. Little, tiny decisions along the way. And he was killed, and a message was brought back and said that he was killed, and David went on with life, or so he said. And that's why, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like us to read 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1-15. And... Um, just amazing, amazing chapter. And as we think about this, this is a total side note. This is free. I hope you have a Nathan in your life. You know that person in your life that's going to point out and sin in your life, but you're going to love it anyway? That person in your life that you can get mad as fire when they point this in out in your life, but you still know that they're going to love you at the end of it? That was Nathan to David. Throughout the scriptures, he did that to him. Then the Lord said, sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men, one very rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly great flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children, and ate of his own food, and drank from his own cup, and it lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock, from his own herd, to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's one wee little lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fold, fourfold for the land because he has done the same and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I know you became. Listen to the heart of God in this verse, girls. Listen to this and receive this for you. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you all your master's house and your master's wives and your keeping, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if it had not been enough, I would have given you even more. God is not a God that withholds anything from us. He's a God that has an open hand to us to ever bless us. We just need to quit trying to figure it out on our own. You know? Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Amalek. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversaries against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, duh. I mean, hello. And Nathan said to David, Lord has not put away, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Gracious God. However, because by this deed you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Very interesting, and this nice lady here mentioned it at first, says, burst of anger, and David said, the man shall repay it four times. David lost four children, by the way, by the end of his life. He lost four children. The very first thing we need to do in healing from these bad consequences is we have to seek God's forgiveness. We have to seek God's forgiveness. That's what David said right there. I have sinned against God. Not against Uriah, not against Bathsheba, not against the people of Israel. It's against God that have chosen. When I chose to end the life of my unborn child, I, it was my choice, and I sinned against God. That's who I sinned against. My, my and Later in this verse, my child is in heaven, and my child probably doesn't want to come back, I would think. Because if I was at Jesus, what I want, you know, I'm like, Lazarus is probably mad. I mean, he got raised from the dead is what I think. I mean, you know, I, I want to be there. I want to be there. It's against God that I sang. So number one, we've got to seek God's forgiveness above all else. It also talks about, in, um, and I do not have a watch, and I thought my clock would show my watch. Can somebody hand me their watch? Or, thank you very much. So we'll kind of stay on focus here, maybe a little bit, but not really. So um, over in, we won't take the time to go over there, but in over in 2 Samuel 24 is another time when David, he acted out and counted the people. And in, in 2 Samuel 24.10, it says that, and he again, he cried out and said, I've sinned against the Father. I've sinned against God. And we need, number one, seek forgiveness. And what that looks like is just acknowledge that it's sin. Acknowledge whatever that small decision, those decisions along the way. That it is sin. Number one, acknowledge it. Number two, turn from our wicked ways. It's a combination of both of those things. If we keep confessing the same sin again and again and again, I would have to wonder what kind of confession really is it. We're just afraid. We're just upset because we got caught. We're just upset because of the consequences. Or do we really choose to want to turn away and walk away from that sin? I had not lived a life of promiscuity, and I didn't after that fact, but a lot of women that I know that I have an opportunity to minister to did choose to walk in that. When we seek forgiveness for that choice of abortion or any other consequences that we have, we need to choose to turn and walk away. And your handout at the end is a, a Bible study that I would really recommend. It really helps walking through that forgiveness process. Abortion is a devastating, soul-wrenching, um, 
sin that carries different consequences than other sin. And there's a fantastic Bible study called Surrendering the Secrets. It's outside and available at Lifeway. That is an eight-week Bible study. It can be done by yourself, but I think it's really important to do it as a group because part of it is surrendering the secrets and telling others about that. What yes, ma'am. Surrendering the secrets. Surrendering the secrets. It's a, it's a, it's a video-driven, so you can really do it in a small group. It, you know, you just need to plug it in, and uh, you can make it happen. I'd encourage people to do that. So we've got to seek God's forgiveness, and that's what David said. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then that great God in his graciousness said, your sins have been forgiven. I mean, that is, that, bam, that's it. And I know we want to make it more, and I want to make it more intellectual. Done. Our sins are forgiven. And we need to walk that out, and that's another point I'll talk about, num- talk about number two. I mean, talk about in the second area that I want to hit. The second thing we need to do is we need to trust God. We need to trust God. We need to believe above all else that God is sovereign and that God is good. And when those difficult, challenging times come into our life, we have to know that, God, you are sovereign. And what that means is he is in full, complete control. He is king. He can do whatever he wants. He's the original, easy, staple button, you know? He, it is not difficult for him. So when things come into our life, we have to then look on the good and know that it came for good. And it, too, came to pass. I mean, when you look at Carol Cannon and you look at her story and what's happened and all that stuff, and, I mean, don't you love how, I mean, I love Carol Cannon. And what a blessing it is to hear her story and see how this tragedy comes along. And that, praise the Lord, JP is different. And I'm telling you, I don't really plug anybody's book hardly ever, but I will plug actually between the grace and a lot place because it is awesome. And especially, I had to hold back from reading ahead JP's writings in it. I mean, it really is, is amazing like that. But we have to trust in his goodness. And we have to trust in that. Um, later on, um, as his son was dying, uh, David was absolutely 100% um, unconsolable. I mean, folks, he was fasting. He, he was crying out to the Lord to save his son. And, and, um, and the, his servants didn't want to go in there and tell him when the son finally died. And then, then, then he got up and he bathed and Asked for food, and he ate, and, and the servants were like, dude, what's up? I mean, your kid's dead now. I mean, what? And he said, in 22, it says, and he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child my lip may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And that's the promise I cling to for my unborn child. I will go to him. He won't come back to me. I will go to him. And because of that, in the same way, David right here is clinging to him and saying, maybe God will be gracious and, and save my child's life. But he didn't. He's still good, and he's still sovereign when we can walk on that. So to heal, you've got to seek forgiveness. And number two, you've got to trust God. And that is, I mean, that is so hard to walk out that trust, but it's just a moment-by-moment moment thing. And I think the key thing is in number three is to do the next right thing. To do the next right thing. For David, he did three different things at that time. Number one, he took food. You know, and some of us girls, to do the next right thing is just to get up and take a shower and put our face on. I mean, just the next right thing. Just the next right thing. Carol Kent said it this morning, and I've heard of other people that have lost um, children, um, physically have died. People say, how do you make it? How do you get through this? And they say, I just keep waking up every morning. I just keep waking I keep reading. Just keep reading. 
get up and do the next right thing. Get up and, you know, I know I got to eat, so I'm going to eat. You know, or for me that has a food addiction, you know, maybe I need to quit eating so much, you know. I mean, that was never a problem. Like, you know, you eat before you speak. No problem. I was in Africa one time and they, um, it was obviously very hot. And, and one little girl came in, she was 20, I mean, but she came in and, and she said, oh, it was just so hot, I couldn't eat lunch today. And I thought, hmm, never been that hot for me. Never been that hot for me. Do the next right thing. Just do basic necessities. Just put one step in front of the other and one step in front of the other. You know, how do we eat this big elephant? One bite at a time. Just do the next right thing. And then all of a sudden, the time will pass, and God will continue to show you the next step and the next thing you need to do. So do that. Number two, he went and comforted Bathsheba. Right at the end, then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her, and she bore him a son. We need to look around and see what kind of ramifications maybe have resulted from our very small decisions that have caused lifelong consequences. And we need to go and fix whatever we need to do to fix that and seek reconciliation and seek forgiveness. And that's humbling ourselves and sitting down and saying, you know, I'm sorry I made that, I'm sorry I had that outburst. It's, it's Matt Ben with Matt Ramirez wanting to find out, you know, the, the, the children that um, he killed the mother of. You know, I want forgiveness. Go out. To, who who have been who have been impacted? Who have been touched? Second Chronicles sixteen nine is one of my favorite verses, and it says, "He looked to and fro over the face of the earth to find a heart turned toward him that was blameless, that he could show himself mighty on their behalf, that he could show himself strong on their behalf." I love that verse. I love that verse because what I want to do is when he looks over, you know, when he's cruising around Houston, Texas, and he runs down two ninety and hits Bingle and turns left and goes to fifty eight hundred Lumberdale. I figure he's got the best GPS in the world, right? I want him to see my heart turns up toward him every morning. And he looked down and he's like, girl, what do you want? What do you want? How can I show myself mighty on your behalf? How can I show myself strong? God, you to show yourself strong. But that word blameless that's in there, it doesn't mean perfect. And that's so important for us to understand, especially as ladies. We want to be perfect. This is all preset. It's not in your notes anymore. We want to be perfect. And that's not what that says. Blameless means I have... I have offended people, and I have tried to make it as right as possible. And everything between me and man, everything between me and God, is right. It's not perfect. So that keeps me from yelling at the driver in traffic. Because when I honk my horn or get offended at him, I can't go and say, I'm so sorry that I yelled at you just then. I can't make it right. So my heart's not blameless. So blamelessness, and so that's part of what we need to do, is to look around and see what have our choices, what have our decisions, what have, how have they impacted and there's no greater gift you can give to your children, to your spouse, to those that are closest to you to come up and say, I'm sorry. And they might say, oh, it was nothing. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And get a forgiveness out of it. And get a forgiveness out of it. Whatever the situation might be. That surrendering the secret is, does a masterful job about really receiving that forgiveness from our unborn children. And getting that thank you. Getting that, I'm, I forgive you, from them we can have that. And then the third thing under the do the next right thing is to start rebuilding. David went and built an altar in the second story when he messed up in the, in the census. He went and built an altar. And um, just start rebuilding. Just start at the next step. Get some healing in your heart and your soul and your mind for those consequences. And then God will start opening doors for you to start doing the next right thing. Start rebuilding relationships. Start building a relationship with your God. Very first thing. Don't put a wall up between you and your guy. Start building those relationships. 
and start going down this new path. I didn't capture it. I'm going to have to go back to Carol and say, what is that verse in Isaiah right at the end when she said, he started a new thing. Don't you see? He's got a new thing. When we start rebuilding and walking in that freedom, walking in that forgiveness, walking in that trust, walking in that healing that Christ provided for us on the cross. You know, we have no problem believing that his salvation paid for our sins. I mean, his death on the cross paid for our sins. And it says that in Isaiah 53, but that very same verse in 53 verse 5, it says, by your stripes we were healed. And I think that's mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And I'm telling you, an emotional healing is way more powerful and miraculous than, you know, someone getting healed of cancer or someone having a broken leg and all of a sudden it's, you know, maybe you're being raised from the dead and that's but, you know, but an emotional healing when that, that, that open wound that's been festering for years has now closed and it is just a scar. And that you can poke it and stick it all day long and it's not going to cause, it's going to remind me of what happened, but it's not going to cause me pain. When we walk out that, we can be healed from this, but it takes work, work girls. It takes effort. It, it, is, it is a sanctification process. We see, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and I don't know, maybe somebody in here was the one that raised their hand when Carol um, offered that invitation for us to receive Christ as our Lord. But how exciting. I was pumped at the front row. All that made that choice and made that decision to receive Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. What happened at that point is it was justification. Their spirit became alive for their first time and came up. And that, in that point, they were justified. Their spirits were alive that would never, ever face death again. And then some way, some way down the road, when Jesus comes back until I die, something called glorification will happen with my body. I mean, amen. Can we get a testimony? Who's ready for that? We get a new body. We get new bodies. And these old bodies that are fading away will come back. Well, between this point of justification, which for some people is today, praise the Lord, to that point of glorification, this whole space in between right here is called sanctification. And it has everything to do with our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. He's working on that, and he's dealing with that, and he's preparing it to become more and more and more like Jesus. And in that process, when we seek his forgiveness, when we walk in trust, and when we believe him um, to rebuild our lives, our mind, our will, and our emotions will become more like Christ. And is there not anything better than that? I mean, I love those few rare times when I really walk in a spirit-filled life, and frustrations don't frustrate me. And I can wait for an hour at the rental car agency, and I'm not bitter about it, I promise you. And I'm okay that I'm delayed an hour, an hour, an hour of traffic. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Because it's light momentary afflictions. God is sovereign and he's good. And we've got, we've got to be healed. And we can't just press on. We can't do somebody class I said it before with Pam. She just pressed it and pressed it and pressed it down. And it, then it, it's going to come out and holding that monster down. So we've got to be healed. And those are three great ways to do that. But it takes work and it takes effort. The second thing that I think is so important for us to do is, okay, how do we avoid bad, bad consequences in the future? And we quit making stupid decisions. That's really how we, how we avoid bad consequences in the future. We need better. We need to be smarter in making our decisions. And, but even until then, I want to talk about one thing, too. Even if we've made bad decisions, um, we can... Galatians. I know it's in here. I got a new Bible, so I can't find anything in here now. How, one of the ways we need to do it... Because there are still some of us that have made, and, and me included, that have made decisions that I might have some bad consequences to. And so what I want to do in those is I want to pray for crop failure. I'm going to read a verse to you, and then we're going to kind of talk through, well, what in the world is that? Because that was the same thing for me. It's Galatians 6, verse 7 and 8. And it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. 
For if he sows to his flesh, will, will the flesh reap corruption? But he who sows to the Spirit, will the Spirit reap everlasting life? And here's how it works. I mean, we're not an agricultural society, so maybe you might catch a hold of this, but let me just talk to it for a second. If I took an apple seed, and I took an apple from the apple that we ate today, and I took that seed, and I planted it into the ground, covered it up, did whatever you're supposed to do, mulch and fertilize and do all those kind of things. Tomorrow, am I going to get an apple tree? No. In about a year, I'm going to get a twig, right? And then in about 20 years, or 10 or 5, or however long it takes to get a full tree, I'm going to have a full tree full of apples, full of seed. And so it's called, a, it's called reaping and sowing, the principle of reaping and sowing. I'm going to sow, I'm going to sow a seed. I'm going to get the same seed. I'm going to get the same fruit. I'm going to get more fruit, and I'm going to get it in a later season. Okay? And what it says here is for us, if I sow to the flesh today, in another season, at a later date, I'm going to get more flesh stuff. Death, decay, and destruction is what it says. I'm going to get more yuckiness in a later season. More the same in a winter. But if I sow to the Spirit, I get life. So, those things, whether it was today or whether it was 20 years ago, those seeds of the flesh that we have chosen to plant, I cry out to the Lord, make a list. I promise you. God loves lists. I believe he's got a whole day timer up there. I can't wait to see it. He loves lists. Make a list. God, show me where I have, show, I have sown to the flesh. Little things, big things. Whether it's eating, whether it's buying clothes, whether it's lusting after... Um, for sex, where have I sown to the flesh? In pride and arrogance, where have I sown to the flesh? God, show those to me. Confess to the sin and say, Lord, please, please bring crop failure in those areas. Please stop the rain from coming in those areas. Please stop the fertilizer from working. Please pray that it fell on bad soil. Lord, I don't want to reap what I know I justly So In your graciousness, oh God, please provide crop failure. And then I think you need to make another list. And that is the list where you sow to the Spirit. God, show me where I've sown to the Spirit. Show me today where I need to sow to the Spirit. And God, you know what? I want it to happen. I want multiplication to happen fast. I don't want a later season. I want it now. And I want more because I want life. And I want abundance. So pray for crop failure and then start asking yourself in every moment, Day in and day out. This is a very practical thing. I mean, it's a post-it note you can put on your rear view mirror. It's something you can stick on your mirror in your, in your bathroom. You know, if I was a tattooer, I'd sometimes think I should just tattoo it right here. Flesh or spirit. Is what I'm about to do sowing to the flesh or am I sowing to the spirit? I'm blessed to be able to minister sometimes to, to wives. And, and why I'm never married but you know, I got a little bit of knowledge about some of this stuff because the Bible talks about it a lot. And so they'll come and they'll whine and whine about this guy and how awful he is or his husband. And, <laughs> and I'll let them kind of get it out because sometimes you just need to vent. We are girls. We kind of need to vent. But I don't want to go too long because you know what's happening? We can start sowing to the flesh in that. We can start sowing to anger and resentment and bitterness and all that stuff. And so I let her get some of it out. And then I say, <laughs> great, okay. One question. No, this guy is a loser. Holy smokes. What a mean thing 
relationship. Elizabeth Elliot told his, her daughter when they were, um, amazing book, I wish I could think of the title, but she, during the year of engagement of her daughter to her future husband, she wrote letters to her daughter about marriage. And one of the things she said is, you know, I know you don't love 100% of what he is right now. You probably just love 80%. Just love the 80%. And don't worry about the 20%. And I don't know where you are in relationship. If you're married, I know it's challenging and difficult. You might only love 10%. But find that 10% and love that 10%. Because that will sow to the Spirit and that will bring life. And the Bible says if we sow to the Spirit, it will give us more Spirit and it will give us more life. And in some miraculous, profound way, he probably won't change one single thing about who he is. You will start loving 12%. And then 18, and then 25. And you might only one day ever get to 25%. But these are light momentary afflictions. And when you get to glory, and you stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You manifested the fruit of the Spirit in your life again and again and again. Be blessed. Be blessed. So let's start in our day-to-day -day life thinking about how can we sow to the flesh and not to the Spirit. If we do that, we're not going to have bad consequences. And our decisions are going to be smarter. Two more things, and then I'm done because I think I'm out of time. Or actually, three more things. Number three, be steadfast and immovable. I won't go there, but David had this battle with a giant. And he was steadfast and immovable. The giants will come. You can do that surrendering the secret. You can work through this list. You can pray for God to bring crop failure in your areas. But those giants in our lives are still going to come in our lives. And we're going to have to make the decision. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm standing. I'm standing in my forgiveness. I'm standing in my righteousness. I'm standing in my holiness. I'm standing in who I am in Jesus Christ. The enemy, you can't have my kids. The enemy, you can't have my marriage. The enemy, you can't have my finances. I'm standing immovable. And I'm sorry. I think there are times we might need to, people might think we're crazy, but I think sometimes we just need to stand up in our quiet time and say, just FYI, enemy, this is it. And I'm standing. Be steadfast and immovable. Don't be tossed and turned by the waves of the world. Be steadfast. And the only way we can be steadfast is if we know the Word of God. That's the only thing that's going to remain. We've got to know the Word. Isaiah tells us that he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen, to give a word to those who are weary. And sometimes it's me. Sometimes I'm the one that needs to weary word. But how many times we don't get up and have our quiet time, we don't spend time in the Word, and that afternoon, our girlfriend calls with some devastating, difficult news, and we do not have our words to say. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I like to listen to Stanley in the morning. Mm -hmm. And he is very, very strong on Ephesians 6. Mm. So wake up. That means you get up and get dressed. You get dressed in the armor of God. Amen. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Absolutely. Thank you. That gives me strength. Yes. It gets our focus. It gets our focus on it. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Number four, heed counsel, girls. Heed counsel. If someone gives you correction, receive it. If someone gives you direction, guidance, receive it. David in Samuel 24, 3, when he messed up and he uh, counted everybody, before he started counting everybody, Job said, you know, dude, you're not supposed to do this. You know, the Lord will really be upset about this. He didn't care. He did it anyway. 
There's a proverb that I want to uh, quick, quickly turn to, Proverbs 10, 17. There's a lot of Proverbs. I've got a bunch of them here, but I won't take the time to read them all. Proverbs 10, 17. I know there's Proverbs in this Bible. <laughs> Be there, Lord. Be there, Lord. 10, 17 says this. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. I'm telling you, if you don't have a Nathan in your life, go find one. And no, but lots of people don't like prophets in their life. Trust me, I'm one, and I don't like me in my life sometimes. You know? <laughs> find a Nathan in your life. Find someone who's going to, find an older woman. If you're the most spiritual person that you know, you need to get more friends. You need somebody in your life that you can turn to and say, I'm really struggling. Walk me through this. I will help you. Titus 2 is all about older women helping younger women. We need older women in our life. That we need to be willing to come underneath their teaching and give that counsel. And then when you get that counsel, do it. Do what they say. If not, you're going to be led astray. The Bible talks about a fool, a wise woman receives correction. You know what that means? A foolish woman doesn't. Receive that correction and walk in it. And then lastly, do your job. I don't know what your job is. But to avoid bad consequences, we need to do our job. This whole mess with Bathsheba and Uriah started twice. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. I'll go there real quick. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon. God still gave them favor. See, I mean, can't you see that? I can see David thinking, look, I don't need to go. God's going to bless us. I mean, I'll send somebody else. I'm going to hang back here. The people of it, they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rahab. But David remained at Jerusalem. The kings were supposed to go out. It was his job to go and do it. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. Dot, dot, dot. And he saw Bathsheba, and then it was all downhill from there. For him. It was devastating. Devastating his family. Who knows what, if, I mean, the kingdom of God, I mean, the kingdom of David was pretty profound anyway. But man, that one little decision wreaked devastation. But David responded well. And he sought his, the forgiveness of the Lord. He trusted him. And he went and he did the next right thing. And then later on, he started sowing to the Spirit. He still was a man after God's own heart. And even when he was attacked by his own sons, he didn't buck up against them. He trusted in the sovereignty of God, and he turned and walked away. But it all started because he didn't do his job. And I don't know what your job is. I mean, I probably could talk a little bit if I knew you more about some of the roles that you play. But just do your job, not somebody else's job. I mean, I am absolutely 100% a control freak, and I want to run everything and run the world. And I have another friend that is mutually as much a control freak. And so whenever we go to an event or even at our church, you know, we, if we ran this, we would do this different. <laughs> and the Lord will gently speak to me and say, but I didn't call you to do this. This is your job. Go and empty the trash. I know, but God, they did Empty the trash. Do our job in loving your children, in loving your husband, in raising your children at work. In your little sphere of influence, do your thing, and God will bless that, and we can walk through that. Remember, these small decisions, whether it was choose to have sex or whether it was choose to have abortion, it does have lifelong consequences, but our God is longer 
than our lives. Praise the Lord. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for this time with these ladies, Lord. I pray that you would just in your um, might and your great and your, and your strength, Lord, bless them, Lord, Holy Spirit. Come down and minister to them. Um, Lord, I thank you for the tears that I saw. Lord, if you begin to work that in us, Father God, I pray that um, we wouldn't leave that. Lord, that we would continue to work through that process to get full and complete healing in those areas of, of pain and difficulty in our lives, Father God. Lord, I pray that we would choose to make some really wise decisions. Lord, that we would get counsel where we need to get counsel. Lord, that we would quit so into the flesh. And by the power of God that dwells inside of us, the Holy Spirit who lives and reigns in us, that we would start sowing to the Spirit and start reaping life by us. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do and your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. That gives us a plan of action that we can take, that we can move forward in the process. Lord, we love you. Since in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you.